St. Patrick's Day is Saturday. And here in Chicago, that means they dye the Chicago River green. And we should say, if you haven't seen this, it's really incredibly green, like leprechaun green. Like fluorescent green. Right. Mike Butler has been in charge of dyeing the river for 35 years. We called him up to find out how they do it. We didn't get very far. So, Mike, we understand that the dye is a secret, but can you at least give us a tip on how to make some of this dye at home? No. Okay, it's, it's, is it toxic? Would it, would it kill me? <laughs> it's environmentally safe, believe me, and it's orange. <laughs> when that first hits the water, Wait, it's all orange. Just so, just so I understand, is, does the dye, does it change color, or is it something about the combination of orange dye plus the natural color of the river that makes the color green? Your guess is as good as mine. Okay. It changes to green. Wow. And are, are you guys, um, so when you're doing it, uh, when you're going down the river in the, this boat, are you just, do you just have buckets that you're tossing over the side, or is there some specific method to it? Yeah, there's a method to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we don't like to talk about that because other people have copied. You guys are like the, like the Knights Templar guarding the Holy Grail with this thing. You got it. <laughs> you so, got it. So how long would it take me to kind of work my way into this inner circle, you think, so that I could learn some of these secrets? You couldn't do it. Do I have to be born into it? You couldn't do it. And it's not an easy job because afterwards, uh, a lot of times from ingesting the dye, they're going to urinate green for a day or so. Whoa, and, wait, wait, wait. What? And, and we used to all go over to the gym and uh, play racquetball. And we'd have shower, but halfway through the racquetball game, we'd start to sweat and turn green. So No, you're <laughs> kidding. No, I'm not. <laughs> Wait, is that the method? Do you pee the dye into the, into the river? Absolutely not. This is How to Do Everything. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. On today's show, we'll teach you how to whistle with your fingers. And we'll help you fill out your March Madness bracket. But first... The Iditarod, that great sled dog race in Alaska, is happening right now. And some mushers are crossing the line as we speak. Um, But a windstorm has actually trapped several of the competitors at a checkpoint about 200 miles from the finish. We got a hold of one of those racers. Scott Jansen is a funeral director. They call him the mushing mortician. So, Scott, we understand it's been a pretty eventful trip so far. Can you tell us what happened? I was coming down, it's called the Dalzell Gorge, when you come across Rainy Pass. And uh, after I went over across the pass, it was snowing really, really hard. And um, it was, it was well, it was beautiful. I mean, it was beautiful as far as the snowstorm goes. And the dogs will do what we call dipping. And by that, the dogs will dip into the snow to get, you know, a little hydration as they're cruising. And one of my dogs, Marshall... He um he was dipping into the snow in the sides, and all I can think of is that Marshall dipped into the snow going down one of those trenches, and he must have packed his snout with snow when he did that, and uh, and his mouth, much like when people are in an avalanche, you know. Yeah. And um and so we came out of this trench, and all of a sudden Marshall fell over, and the dogs will do that every once in a while. You know, a dog will stumble and they'll fall and they'll jump right back up. You know. Yeah. But Marshall. He fell, and he hit, boom. And I grabbed my snow hook, which we used to stop our sleds, and I was able to snag a little piece of bush and stop the sled immediately. And I got up to Marshall within minutes. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, conceivably it was probably two or three minutes by the time I was able to stop and, and get up to him. And, uh, oh. and, uh, <clears throat> and, I, uh, and I 
I lifted him up by his harness, and, and he fell again. And uh, and uh, and then I knew, and you know, and I looked at his eyes, and his eyes weren't rolled back. I didn't see the whites of his eyes, his pupils. He was dead. And uh, I'm an undertaker. I know death. And uh, <clears throat> so I started. You know, I screamed out his name. And uh, God, it's hard to talk about, but yeah. I screamed out his name, and and uh, I started instantly. I put his I, his tongue back into his mouth so I could close his mouth all the way, and I put my mouth over his nose, and I pulled back in to try to get anything out of his nose out, and uh, <clears throat> and I was able to pull a lot out, and uh, and I spit that out, and I started breathing into his nose, and at the same time, giving him chest compressions. And uh, and I did that for five or ten minutes. I don't know. It seemed like an hour. And uh, and I I just I remember so vividly my tears dripping down on his snout as I just looked up at the sky and I said, "Please God, please let him come back." And then I looked at Marshall. I breathed in his nose again. I'm like, "Dude, please come back. Please come back." And I did one more chest compression, one more breath into his nose. And he coughed back out, I mean, right right into my mouth. And, you know, it might sound disgusting for people, but it was the most joyous sensation ever. Yeah. And he started breathing, and uh, he didn't, and then his eyes slowly came back, and, and he's looking at me, and, but he couldn't lift his head off the snow. And I laid there in the snow next to him, and, and I rubbed him, and I petted him, and I told him I loved him, and, and uh, I told him to hang on, dude, I'll get you to the doctor's. Yeah. And I laid there for about 40 minutes, and, and uh, <clears throat> finally, all of a sudden, he lifted up his head. He looks at me like, hey, Dad, what are we doing here? Um, so while, while you're doing this with Marshall, the other dogs are, are how are they yeah, behaving? They're all, standing, they're all standing in line, and every one of them are looking back at me, and they're all whining, and, and they don't do that much. These dogs will howl, they'll sing at the moon and everything else, and, and, uh, and they're all whimpering up front, and they knew. They knew that so, something was wrong with him. And so I got Marshall in the sled bag, and I said, hey, guys, we got to get Marshall to the doctor. we got to rock. And we took off down that mountain, and we're going. And as I came into Roan, I was yelling for the vets, and they came running out right away. And I told them, you got to get Marshall in right away. He's, I think he's dying. And I told them what had happened, and they started working on him, but I couldn't go in with them because I had, you know, 15 other dogs that I needed to take care of. And yeah. In the meantime, I snacked all the dogs, and while the food was soaking in the hot water, I went in to check on Marshall. And and I'll tell you, I'm I'm not a tall man. I'm only five foot five, and but I was about four feet tall when I walked in there. I was yeah. I was having a hard time even standing up straight. I was probably at one of the lowest points of my life. And and I walked in the checkpoint, and Marshall's laying on the floor, and they had an IV into his arm. And I walked into the checkpoint, and Marshall looked at me, and jumped up on his feet. And started wagging his tail like, hey, Dad, when are we going? <laughs> and that's when the vet said, you know, he's going to be okay. He's going to be okay. And so Marshall's okay now. He's he's back in Anchorage, and we've got a good friend that's staying at our house. And <clears throat> Marshall's living in the house up in the mountains overlooking Anchorage, living like a king right now. Yeah, yeah. I wish we could send dog biscuits or something for, for Marshall, but if you could scratch him behind the ears for us, you know. Oh, I'll do, I'll do that for sure. I'll... I'll give him some love when I get home from from you. All right, well, take care. Thank you so much for talking to us. All right, thanks for calling. 
We got a question on Twitter from Andy. He wants to know, how do I whistle loudly? Talking about the two-finger-in-the-mouth method. Right. I think that's called a wolf whistle. Not familiar with that term. Utah Jazz coach Sidney Lowe is known throughout the NBA uh, for having a very prolific wolf whistle. Now, Coach, you, you whistle at your players all game long. Do they know what you're trying to say to them? Well, if, if, if I whistle and he has the ball, that, that means turn and look at me. That means, look, I've got something to say. There's something coming. You know, if they're running back in transitional defense, then they know that I mean turn around, you know, look. So, but generally speaking, it's a, it's a bad thing. It's never, like, a good thing. Like, whoop, good job. No, <laughs> no, 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 it isn't. But it, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a bad thing. Right. So this, this might be a tough thing to do on the radio, but uh, can you describe uh, how you whistle, uh, what you're doing with the, your mouth and your hands? The way I do it is I take my two middle fingers and I'll curl my tongue and I'll put those two fingers right up on my tongue and just kind of push it down, and okay. there's a little gap in between. There's a little gap there, and that's where that's where the sound comes from. So, so the sound is coming from between. Your fingers are on your tongue, and the sound is coming from between your fingers. Yeah, like I curl my tongue, and there's a little space in between there, and I think that's where the the sound comes from. So I, I just oh, wow. Like, and that's just to, again. That's that's to call a point guard. That's to say, hey, turn around. If something is going wrong, like you said, something yeah. bad, and the guy's not paying attention to something, then it, it might change up. You know, it could. It... And so that means that means look right away because something's coming. <laughs> okay, so what if there's uh, 20 seconds left? You guys have the ball. The other team has just missed a free throw. You're coming down the court. 20 seconds left, and the guy's he's not running the right offense. What's that whistle like? Well, it. See, now the emotions are in now, you know. Um, let's say if the game is on the line, we're going down the court, he's not paying attention. Now, you know, then, then you've got to get his attention. Then it, then it might be, you know, that means I need you now because I want a timeout. It's a unique way you do it, too, with the, the, the double middle fingers in the mouth. I mean, yeah, there's already a message. Yeah, that's right. You're, whether you like it or not, that's a double right. meaning there, right? right yeah. I give, I'm going to give it a try based on the technique here. Uh, I got my two middle fingers. I'm sorry for pointing my fingers up at you, but uh, two middle fingers on the tongue. So my tongue is curled back. So I'm on the bottom of the tongue. Yes. And then the, the air is coming over the top of the tongue. I get you. Yeah. Uh, you've got you're both better basketball player and uh, yeah, tongue maneuver than me. This is great, Coach. Thanks a lot. We're gonna maybe hone our whistle and hopefully yeah. we'll get better at it. Yeah, we're gonna practice. Thanks, man. All right, you're welcome. Thank you. I feel like we should say um, it's really hard to whistle like that. And that's a that's just not yep. something you can do on the radio. So sorry, Andy. You're on your own, bud. March Madness begins this week, and before we fill out our brackets, we thought we'd turn to an expert. Really, the expert. Yeah. Uh, Dick Vitale, what do we do? Well, I think that one thing about the tournament this year, I think the Goliath teams, the teams that are on the first two, first two lines of the tournament, the Goliath teams, I think are going to really dominate. I think the mid-major schools, we've had them over the years with VCU and Butler, uh, teams of George Mason, I think right now, because a lot of kids came back to school, the Carolinas, Kentuckys, Ohio States, and that's going to be tough, tough to beat. Okay. All right. If there's, a, if there's one team that has 
no shot, but that I'm going to enjoy watching. What's that team this year? Well, I'm going to tell you, keep an eye on Murray State. Okay. I think Murray State could be an absolute sleeper. I did a game down there, Racer Nation, and I was so impressed. I think when it's all said and done, Mike and Ann, I think we're going to see Kentucky, North Carolina play for the national title. Uh, we have one thing. Yeah, I think we are going to regret talking to you and not hearing you say, oh, baby. Mike and Ann are awesome, baby, with a capital I. Thanks, guys. Gonna Take get care. Joe, baby. We should mention that Dick is raising money for cancer research through the V Foundation. You can find more information at dickvitaleonline.com. And just like last year, we are going to do our own How to Do Everything uh, bracket pool. Um, so uh, we'll put up information on how to join on our website. That's howtodoeverything.org. You know what that sound means, Ian? Time for a nice cup of tea. It's time for the final round of the world's best worst song competition. Last week, Cheryl picked I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys, and that faced off against How Do I Live by Leanne Rimes. That was by James, the winner of, not surprisingly maybe, Backstreet Boys. Good job, Backstreet Boys and Cheryl. It's our first boy band in the competition, which is now set. The field is set. Let's hear a little of each of our eight finalists. So we're going to set up a poll on our Facebook page where you can choose the worst song of those eight. Yeah, and if you're not in that, you can just pick the worst and send it to us in an email. Howto at npr.org. And that does it for this week's show. What would you learn, Ian? I learned that there are side effects to Chicago's St. Patrick's Day celebrations. Yeah, I think that they should actually have uh, a commercial for St. Patrick's Day in Chicago. Like, is it in you? But, he, you know, he talked about the um, that you pee green yeah. and you sweat green. Do you think that you also cry green? I learned that basketball players are not only really good at basketball, but they're also, they're, some of them are really good at whistling. They yeah. should have, like, a whistle, like along with, like, the three-point shooting contest and the slam dunk contest. Maybe they could have, like, a whistle contest. They, they could do all sorts of tri- trick whistles, like whistle over a car. Yeah, right. Yeah. Whistle blindfolded. That's no harder than just whistling. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. How to Do Everything is produced by Blythe Haga with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Kate Casey. I think Dick Vitale would agree. She's awesome, baby. Yeah. That's what he says about everything. Also, we want to thank uh, this week Josh Rogers, who has an Iditarod podcast, and he helped us track down Scott Jansen. You can find more from Josh at iditablog.com. And continuing the longest credits ever, we just want to remind you one more time to join the How to Do Everything bracket pool. You can find out more about that on our website, howtodoeverything.org. And keep sending us your questions at howto at npr.org.
I'm Ian. I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, actually, one more thing. We have a new video out this week. It's about crop dusting featuring artwork by Tiny Markers. You can find that on our website.